I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This week's episode of the Bass Guitar Nerds podcast is sponsored by Ashdown Engineering a British bass amplification powerhouse whose gear is seen on the biggest stages in the world backing up the biggest bands in the world. But now Ashdown have expanded their expertise into bass guitars. Having teamed up with master luthier Dan Lackin previously of Lackland Basses, Ashdown are now offering five different models of US-designed basses, from classically inspired shapes to completely new designs using vintage sensibilities with all the modern applications a bassist needs. Available in an ever-expanding range of finishes and all for under a thousand pounds. These instruments are extremely exciting. Check them out at ashdownmusic.com or follow links in the description of this podcast. And welcome to the Bass Guitar Nerds podcast, a podcast by guitar nerds. What about bass? I'm your host, Joe Branton, joined this week by JD Short. Hello. And Naomi McLeod. Hello. Hello. Hello, everyone. And we're back. We're back with the fourth, fourth episode in this series. Um, we're going to do something in this episode, I think, that we don't normally do on the on the main episode or at least i claim i'm going to do every now and again and never get around to it we're actually going to focus on a load of questions um from the group uh, which which will be good you know there's not much no- news going on really uh, at the moment you know not too many things are, are being released and of course we're only interested in the in the base things that are being released um but yes i guess first of all uh, how is everyone doing? How's everyone's bass playing weeks been going? Uh, JD, oh, it's been it's been going quite well. Um, been listening to the new Deftones single a lot, and really enjoying it in a way that I do every few Deftones albums where I'm just like, this is fantastic. So I've been noodling around with that quite a bit. Also dug out some of my. Um, some of my just sort of tutorial books that I kind of go back to and um, just sort of, you know, old friends play through, you know, work on site reading and stuff. So it's it's been good. It's been a nice, nice, comforting revisit. I um I I I don't know very much about Deftones, obviously, other than the Stephen Carpenter baritone seven string. Yeah. That comes <laughs> in some incredible finishes. I mean, that is that that guitar is is absolutely outstanding it seems that every 
signature model he's had has been fantastic. But not knowing that much about Deftones, what what on earth does their bass player play in order to compete with a seven-string baritone? Hmm. Uh, a P bass through an SVT. Oh, really? <laughs> no, I, I'm I'm not actually sure because because. Uh, so I'm mostly familiar with a lot of their earlier works when uh-huh. they had a different bass player who is now sadly passed. Um, and, you know, a lot of his stuff, like I think early def- I'm guessing I'm trying to remember from like seeing or playing shows like way, way back. But like, I think I think he used to play like a music man. And I'm pretty sure it was SVTs or, you know, this was probably early mid well, mid '90s, so it could have been Trace Elliott. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Music Man, SVT, or Mesa, something. You know, one of the 400 plus one yeah. of those heads or something. Yeah, yeah. this the Stingray did seem to have its like those sorts of bands were like uh, um, that was the Music Man's calling, and it definitely had. If you think about when the Deftones started, uh, I guess you know, well, it's not similar bands. You know, when you think of people like um, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah. Um, and and bands like that, where Music Man Stingrays were uh, were kind of the instrument of choice. That does seem to be. I think of that era as being like that's when that big eight pole pickup on the bridge was the right sort of thing for bass. Yeah, um, and the the Seymour Duncan quarter pounders everywhere, and like oh, yeah. seeing those sort of yeah. Yeah, everyone everyone changed their P bases for Seymour Duncan Court Pounders, myself included. I, I the, it's a pickup that I still have fitted in my Mexican fifties P base, and it's only there because I haven't changed it. Like I don't really like it, and I think I've mm-hmm. I've benched that base for the best part of the last you know probably decade, um, and haven't really played it. And it's a great base. Like I've had it refinished in a lovely two-tone sunburst nitro it's really nice it's just that quarter pounder is a little bit um it feels like i'm constantly uh sort of collapsing the input gain on whatever amp it kind of removes any any headroom that i would have from a on a clean tone yeah they're they're a bit too much they're a bit all or nothing and i feel like a lot of people have kind of had their had their moment maybe with quarter pounders and not everyone has you know not everyone's love affair with them has continued beyond the the initial hype i suppose of i'm gonna fit quarter pounders it's gonna sound meaty meaty af right <laughs> yeah <laughs> well that that was it wasn't it it was like uh they were the biggest it was the biggest pole pieces it was like uh i guess at that time because i think mark hoppers from blink 182 had quarter pounders and uh, i guess tom DeLong had his Seymour Duncan Invaders hmm. uh, in, in Invader Humbucker in, in his Strat at the time. And that was kind of the order of the day. Everyone was like, what is the loudest pickup I can fit into my instrument? Um, and I guess Seymour Duncan really sort of nailed that. I think today everyone's, I think, I mean, I don't know because I'm only really into sort of vintage stuff, but I feel like low output pickups are a, a, a you know, more popular now. The the versatility with that is kind of a more popular route. I'm not, I'm not 100% yeah. sure. Um, I, I agree with you there. And I think, I mean, my hunch is that a lot of it has to do with it. Like there actually being input gain preamps on a lot of bass amps now where there used to just be, it used to just be master volume and you had the active passive input, which is just a pad. And so having a high 
high output or low output, you know, it made more of a difference where now you have like an input gain on a lot of, on a, on a lot of the bass amps. Yeah. Um, just quickly, I did a, a tiny bit of Googling and Joe, are you, you're sitting down now, right? Is yeah. that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, Sergio Vega, the new bass player for Deftones, new, I mean, he's been the bass player for a while. Um, doesn't like to play uh, five or six, six string basses. He will play a, a Fender bass six, but he has a whammy modified Jaguar bass <laughs> that he plays in uh, drop D, drop C sharp. Um, I just wanted to chuck that out there because it well, somehow we got to a place where this sounds perfect for us. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds absolutely ridiculous. Who... Who even makes whammies for bass, for four-string basses? You, um, you had one on Yeah, a- I had one. In, um, so Kaler uh, makes them primarily. Hipshot also does one uh, or has done on and off. Uh, the one I had was, was machined from uh, a guy that did it one off in Canada. Um, but yeah, like uh, Kaler's probably... Probably who you're going to go, Kaler Hipshot, I think. Um, I'm pretty sure Hipshot still does one, or they have they have done it some. Yeah, they do. I'm looking stage. at it here. Four yeah. string bass tremolo and a five string. Oof. For I'm, all I'm, of your low B bending needs. Or high C. <laughs> or high C. Yeah. My apologies. To I the get, high C tuners out there. I could really get into that, I think, if I was going to add a string. A high C rather than a yeah. low B. I can see more of a use for that. I'm really thinking about uh, doing it because um, I in one of my the, well, the only five string I have now is um, it's been low B for ages, but I never I never really play that way. And again, like I always play sort of mid position anyway, so I'm usually mm. above fifth fret. So it was just a nice, easy way to hit some of those notes without like going all the way down or anything like that so it was a way to play across the fingerboard yeah um yeah more for so your than fretting like, hand as well it's, it's yeah uh, that bit less stretch right yeah and but yeah like so much of the stuff i do is sort of it's not necessarily higher register stuff but it's it's i would like to do that in a more chordal way lower mm. down as opposed to having to play everything like up high because just the way the timbre is when you you know play an a at the 12th fret of your of your a string versus you know like seventh fret of a d string you know like it's one of those like of course it sounds different and i would like to sort of be able to do that kind of stuff i just you know it's options so it's something i've been thinking about for quite a while and i i have strings to do it i just haven't actually i haven't actually done it what what bass is it that you have that's five string that is my the reed custom instrument space i have that bespoke one that yeah, I designed, I that. Yeah, 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 like ages ago with like plenty, basically every option I could think of ever wanting or needing um, on a bass. <laughs> so. Stonefield also do five strings with either either way, don't they? It can be a low B or a high C. Yeah, yeah, which is yeah. Cool. yeah, yeah. Could, yeah. I, I would think about doing a five string high C. I think that'd be interesting. What? Yeah, Naomi, what do you you have a five string Reverend, right? I do indeed. Yeah, I have a and yours beautiful... is low B, is it? It is. Yeah, um, there was one or two highly experimental tunings I tried, um, which would almost sit in between what we're talking about. I I brought everything up a, a full step previously, so that would be 
C sharp, F sharp, B, E, and A. Oh, that sounds um, cool. That sounds, that sounds more Joe's usable. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, usable until you need to learn someone else's song. But for for riffing around, it was um, for riffing around. It was yeah, it felt really nice. I mean, one thing I suppose um, that I always fall into anytime I play a guitar not that it's that frequently is is i use a capo i love to kind of see how much the instrument can change and like you're saying jd just how much the the timbre can change with uh positioning chords on the neck and stuff so i suppose um every so often i'll i'll do similar temporary experiments with the bass and this was a particularly nice one on the um on the five string hmm. and wait what what strings do you use um, currently on the five string, I'm, it's funny you ask, I'm trying to make the move away from having just about all my basses strung with flats. I think oh, I need right. to Oh, give... well, do you have flats even on the five string? I do indeed. Yeah, I have. That's um, very cool. Yeah. What are they on it? I think they're just Labella Deep Talking. Um, but yeah, so basically I was on a gig for quite a while playing funk and soul and Motown kind of stuff. And because mm-hmm. of... Um, some transpositions that we did for the singers that we were working with. Um, a five-string bass just kind of made sense for quite a lot of stuff that was in E flat, and then some of the more modern tunes. Just having the having the low B to riff around with some octave work was nice. So um, yeah, the Mercalli was a, a perfect gig for that kind of vintage woofy full kind of voicing. Yeah, yeah, I bet. I, the um, Ernie Bull have just released uh, a set of flats, and their whole marketing oh. for them is like a. And for, I don't think they're doing it for fives, but their whole marketing strategy is like uh, these are flat wound strings that sound like round wounds. Oh, which I, I think see. It's kind of it's a weird place to sort of set your sights. But it, I'm. It is. I'm curious. Would they sound anything like the half rounds? No, yeah. Um, yeah, maybe. For me, I've I was seen. kind of like, well, I definitely because my love of flats is definitely more to do with my love of the rolling stones than it is me actually liking flats like i i go through phases like i'll tune i'll string everything up with flats play it with polymath for a while and then i'll Mm -hmm. just be like this really doesn't work for a big aggressive drivey band and i'll change back to rounds and i'll be like yeah this sounds much better and then a few months will pass i'll listen to a load of like neil young and rolling stones again and then i'll be like yeah i'm gonna change everything to flats and i'm in this constant cycle so kind of the idea of having something that feels like flats but sounds more like rounds i think is kind of attractive for me definitely Uh, and also just how how it feels as well i mean for me the transition to flats came alongside trying to learn what I felt like was very late in the day to to begin to play fingerstyle versus having played heavier music with a pick for many years. Right. Um, yeah. So obviously flats against fingerstyle is, is well, at least personally, that a good bit more comfortable yeah. than, yeah. Um, than trying to play um, some of Jamerson's busier lines on a, on rounds. Um, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, I'm a bit like like yourself, though, Joe. I definitely seem to swing from stringing everything with flats to stringing everything with rounds. Um, yeah. Have you ever tried any of the in-between, like the ground wound or the half wounds? The the half wounds I haven't. I, I, I started using this um, string. Um, it was I, this string type from um, uh, Newtone. Uh, have have either of you ever used Newtone strings? I don't think no, we've not. I, don't um, I haven't. No. 
So um, I really like Newtone strings. They're like a, a custom shop and you can have your own strings made. And I am um, going to have to kind of quickly go on to the website as we talk about it to see if uh, he, because he gave me, uh, um, uh, Neil, who owns the company, gave mm. me uh, some of the, some of this experimental set of strings, which are kind okay. of like an old set of rounds is, is the deal. So yeah. they they sound super dead, but they feel kind of like rounds. They've definitely more aggression than flats, but, and, and I'm one of those people that like, oh, once my strings get to, my round rounds get to being a year old on a bass, I'm like, that's where I'm happy. That's sure. when the tone is where I want it to be. Yeah. And this gave me that instantly. But the great thing about their strings is that you can, um, because you can custom order, that helped me because uh, half the time Polymath are playing in new standard tuning, which is like King Crimson's tuning. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm which is uh, all, all fourths basically so it's so you yeah. so it's c g d a so i have to have heavy gauge strings for those first three but of course to get up to an a on the high string i have to have something very thin um so it's 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 handy to be able to order those sort of custom sets c g d cool all fifths do you mean mm. Uh, it depends on which way you're going. Fifth. Yes, yes, yeah. sorry, yes. I guess it's all fifths. Yeah. Awesome circle of fifths, just like Mr. Bach himself. That's okay. awesome. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I've listened to Polymath plenty and even seen you play, but I, I didn't actually cough that that was the tuning. That's awesome. So I'm guessing chordal work is, is that bit more comfortable than if you're if you're able to kind of play in parallels. It's it just yeah it makes um, we. We, we did it because we ran out of ideas and I think changing <laughs> tuning is a fantastic way to do exactly the same things with your left hand and get completely different results. Yeah. And New Standard is one of those tunings that um, works really well. As in you, you do all those movements that are quite familiar to you with your left mm-hmm. hand mm-hmm. and they will all still work. They won't sound wrong, but um, they will sound very different. So, awesome. and they have a really specific sound. The problem with new standard is it it kind of has one sound, uh, like it, I get you, the, kind the, of kind of modal, right? Because yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's why we always have to have a couple of guitars because, of course, you can't just tune into new standard because it needs a different set of strings. Sure. Okay. So, so we there always, we get there we there you get your your custom sets. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. But it means we have to change guitars like mid gig, which I always think makes us look like pretentious. Uh, you know, when a bass I mean, player changes bass mid gig, it's just like, oh, what are you doing, mate? But I have to do that all the time. It's terrible. I feel um, very attacked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I don't know about I'm you, sorry. JD, but it's a yeah. perfectly normal action to take for yeah, those yeah. of us who, like yourself, care well, about how we sound. I mean, I I do it, all, you know, every gig. I just always feel bad about it. It's uh, yeah. yeah, I get. You. I remember but, I used to I used to on my little TC ditto. I used to have these really like elaborate loops that I'd flick on for like what I in my overthinking way, thought would be the most uncomfortable silence for the watching audience as I change bass. And it's like, people just go and get a pint. It's fine. Yeah. It's just a little gig. No, no biggie. I'm I'm on the Newtone site here. It's awesome. You can configure so much. Oh, We've got so tenor good. guitar strings, custom bass string configurators right there on the main yeah. page. 
I can't um, I can't recommend this company enough. Like the the strings are are very very good um, from Newtone, and uh, they they've even they've made me like custom sets of bass six strings because when I got my mm. bass six, I was like, I love this, but I want to play it in polymath, which means I can't have it in standard tuning. You know, even if I didn't put it in new standard, it would have to be in D stand D standard at least. And mm-hmm. so, trying to get a baritone style guitar stroke bass a step down when bass sixes strings on bass sixes are already really floppy because that low E is normally only a ninety on a standard yeah. set of bass yeah. six strings, and that's not like you you know if you put that on a four string bass, that's just going to be hanging off the instrument and yeah. It was always an effort, but yeah, the Newtone strings, you know, made me a set where it it went up to like a one eighteen was the thickest we could make it, and and it not be touching the next string, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm really into this. Like I I've been looking for kind of a new string company to try. I mean, I say that, and I also probably have enough like just raw strings to make an automobile <laughs> like and you know, but but also just like trying because i i've played dr strings for years and years and years and years and then labella is sort of my other um and then some like diodarios depending like i use diodarios for my upright and things mm-hmm. usually but um yeah i'm really interested in like sort of just new flavors of strings that are out there in that I, you know, certainly for bass, I see this all the time too, certainly with like shockingly extended range instruments and things, but there's so many new, new companies. Like this feels like a new frontier of um, like innovation at the moment. Yeah. Really yeah, cool. for sure. Yeah. And, and this company are, are always expanding. There always seems to be like new strings that they're trialing and adding to their list. And I love the the choice of cores are quite substantial with them as well. So there's there's kind of something for everyone. And it looks like you get ten percent off if you subscribe to their mailing list as well. Off your nice. off your first order. So you know listener if you are if you are looking for something. Oh, we, you know, we've spoken about them on, on in the past on the on the guitar nerds podcast. But yeah, they are um they are absolutely fantastic. And Newtone strings I, I was actually speaking to them recently and they were saying that, you know, they are at the moment, they're they're so much more popular for bass guitarists. You know, they're they're really starting to take off with bassists as opposed to sort of guitars, which I think was their bread and butter initially. Sure. But I think uh, you know, bass players all we all want our own, you know, our own specific set specifically for us, don't we? So it's, I, yeah. I think guitarists are quite happy to, you know, wang a, a set of tens on or whatever. Um, yeah well i mean it's also like they're a fiver half the time right you know so it's yeah. like well who really exactly. cares where it's like it's 10 quid 50 you know it's like it's like i've i've shelled out close to 100 us oh. on strings before you know mm-hmm. like like the thomas uh infelds or like something like that where you're just like okay that's 80 us plus shipping plus you know or something yeah, you know, yeah, you know, and, for like, sure. and it's like, yeah, it's it's a different level of investment than, I don't know, the pink pack, you know, then. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah. And I think even if you look at the the boring fundamental supply chain and it's like there there simply aren't as many um, yeah. models of, of bass string out there as uh, nearly as, as there are guitar. Like looking at Newtone here, like I, I mean, they're obviously a, a um, 
a smaller a smaller scale company than the Daidarios and the Labellas that we that we hear a lot about as well. But I mean, just even the layout of the site is like a basis dream. Like <laughs> first up to eighth string, what gauge you'd like is um I, I wish more yeah. I wish more um more companies would would do things this way it's it's really awesome yeah yeah it's really good yeah it, it, um on strings being loads of money recently when i got a set of labella deep talking bass strings for the first time which are Great. about 50 pounds they're really really good but mm-hmm. someone had also um told me about um had been talking to me about tomastics mm-hmm. um yes and and just how good they were and i, I was like oh they're five pounds more than the labellas I can't make a decision. I'll have to get both, which you know yeah. is then like uh, today. I spent 110 pounds on two sets of strings. One of which I'm probably not going to use. Well, you know, not going to initially use because I'll prefer the others. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's it it feels like boring money, but obviously it's it's so um, so crucial to to our playing. To I mean to literally every aspect of our playing and our sound, right? Yeah, yeah. I think. I think with bass two, uh, one just physics involved. Like, there's much more energy, so like all this stuff means more. But like, I found like every time I get a new bass, it's like sort of going through a process to figure out exactly which string sounds the best for it. Right, and that's yeah. that's one of the reasons I I started exploring because I had played DRs exclusively, like different sets of DR, but DR exclusively since like '95 or so uh up until five five six years ago when when i when i got that um fender jazz bass we i think we mentioned um or something so i was playing fender jazz and i was just really trying to find like it just it just didn't sound i knew it could sound better like i knew there was something lacking and so it was just like all right let's try different strings let's go like that's you know it's like trying diodario trying like labella which i've always really liked going trying you know like exposed core seeing if there can be anything else like that like yeah yeah for yeah. sure i don't i don't know anything about drs like I, I know you know i obviously know what the logo looks like but i don't think i've ever strung a set of drs they they're superb i, I, I mean, love them so huge. much like the reason reason i got hooked on them was the one of the bands i was in uh at the time is um I used to, there was one song I used to do that I did like two-handed tapping where my right hand, like I played with a slide and it was like a metal slide. So it was like tapping. So it was cool. It sounded like a a scratching because DJs were the rage then. And, (laughs) but doing that, we always opened this set with that song and like it shredded my G string um, every time. And so like you could see like the fret indent in the bottom half of the G. So if I, if there's ever like, humidity change or i had to like twist the string up like it would just it would like phase out on like um it would just like insane fret right on like the e on the g string which was pretty useful you know (laughs) and and so i was like okay so i ended up changing strings after every gig um which as we just discussed is expensive and then um lucky i was in a band that was doing okay so fine um but uh, I got DR strings and then they were the first ones that allowed me to be able to just swap us, uh, just change one string and it still sound correct with the rest of the set. Uh, um, see. and then, so I, I started doing that and then I just, they're really great. Um, and I played them like all the different variants, like the low riders and high beams and stuff. But yeah, like they're, 
I they're really I guess how I would assume is like they're like dry and kind of raw sounding, but also like this like there's they're very warm and rich, but they like they yeah, there's just like a realness to them. Like it's like an exposed I see. string, yeah. Yeah. It's, they're a more attacky sounding string was something I always found using Duelist. Really? Yeah, yeah, like I, I used Black Beauties for a long time, which are coated stainless steel, um, if I remember correctly. And the tone was just markedly, yeah, just markedly kind of more transient, more out there. Still still big sounding strings, um, like you said, JD. But um, yeah, just more, I, I guess, more aggressive on balance. Yeah, like a great, like lots of high mid, that sort of uh, that sort of sparkly trebly, that sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like I really pushed them and used them to kind of get the most out of the the distorted sort of Aguilar agro sort of tone that I was uh-huh. using at the time, and I found them perfect for that. And the high beams are the ones that I hear of a lot. Mm. I assume those are the ones that are supposed to be very bright, right? I guess that's that's what that. See, I means. I never really f- found them to be. I mean, this could just be me and, you know, the rest of my settings and playings. But, like, I never really found them to be super, super, like, they weren't zingy. Like, like you would get with, like, boomers or even, like, a lot of the Diodarios I would find or, like, the Ernie Ball strings that always felt like they had much more sizzle. Like, the, I think that's the, when you get, like, in the really, really high upper, the upper ends, like, there's that sizzliness, which I don't really use or like so much same mm-hmm. as like you know like do you turn your tweeter off on your 410 you know kind of thing um but then yeah like the drs they would they would go like really it, it almost i'm making this up but it's like it almost looks like if you would just see like they it looks like they would go really high and then at the point where it would become like harsh they stop you know so they can be they can have that like attack and there's there's the drive and everything up top but then you you don't have that like oh that's really clangy like they never got clangy even when they would like they did like a really nice slow death i think whereas like some strings like for me especially like some of the ones i had played like if and if the way i play like if if they weren't brand new or if they weren't like old that like awkward those awkward teenage years were a very long time. Like it was just like, ugh, this is like, there's like weird mid range honk, you know, right. if you're like, yeah, I know what you mean. Sound like a goose, you know, and I was like, that's, that's not what I want. So. <laughs> but that's exactly the sound I want. I want all the mid range. Yeah. I got, um, I got really into tape rounds, um, a, a while ago. I had, um, I had one of those. I lost a lot of weight. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Oh, wow, that's good. That's an excellent dad joke. And of course, <laughs> why not? This is a this is a base uh, podcast. Um, but yeah, I got I got really into um, uh, tape rounds recently. Well, you know, a, a while ago, when I discovered, you know, that um, that you could have this have have a string with kind of it. Well, I, you know, it was uh, off the back of there's a there's a famous for for me. Uh, <laughs> rig rundown with with one order it um in a in like a bathroom on the last uh on premier guitar and it was the last mars volta tour i think or the last the last record so they were um they were playing their album nocturnicate um which was this uh when they put that record out uh omar rodriguez lopez was obsessed with the idea of of them being 
like a portable band. I mean, that could have been budget related as well, but he wanted them to not have all the grandeur and the massive amounts of equipment that they'd had before. So, you know, Juan Alderet, you know, this legendary bass player was was playing through um, those um, digital Ampeg flip tops. What were they called? The Oh, yeah. Oh, they, the, not the Portaflex. Portaflex, yeah, that yeah. was it, yeah. Yeah. He was playing through. He had two of those with two four tens. That was that was his rig. This guy had gone from being like two full vintage SVTs, was playing through portaflexes because the idea was they were they were portable. But mm. he still had his big pedal board. And around that time, and for the whole of that record, he played this old sixties. I can't remember. I think it was a sixty two jazz bass that he had. This black sixty two jazz bass that he had strung with um, tape wounds and it just sounded incredible. Um, and he spoke about how he used to play them with a plectrum but had to be really light-handed because the strings are so um, uh, so low tension that you hit them too hard and you kind of lose the, the note a bit. You know, it scoops the note too much. Mm-hmm. So you have to play softly, but you need to use a plectrum to get the attack there in the first place. But then you get this gorgeous like Motown sound and i interviewed juan Aldrett a few years later and asked him about that sound and that record he said um at the time him and d'anthony parks um who was the drummer for the last record were at the time really into stacks records and they were they were really trying to create a real sort of like staxy motowny backing for the rest of the band that was kind mm-hmm. of their their whole thing to lock in with that sort of sound but I went off on a right tangent there, but for me, there's like that was like I was like right tape rounds. That sounds like the solution. Um, they're they're very cool. Have either of you ever delved into tape rounds? I've played bases with tape rounds. I've not had um, I've not had a set on a base just yet. In fact, the Chowney that we talked about a few episodes back. Oh yeah. Um, the spare set that came along with with that little base are uh, are tape wound. So oh, perhaps go. next ep- next episode I'll be able to report back. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, great. yeah. My my experience of them has just been that that they are really a, a different a different beast that does require different playing, but the. I think the tonal results can be absolutely amazing from them. Yeah, that's um, that's exactly it. Yeah, like when I played them, it was it was on again an old, um, someone's very pleasant seventies uh, P, and um, they just had that almost like I don't know, like almost actually double bass sounding kind of uh, woofy warmth. Um, yeah, very very different to any any kind of metallic string tone that we'd be more used to even with the tone rolled off yeah 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 that's that's exactly it they're just yeah totally totally their own thing mm, mm-hmm. the uh, the only bass i've ever uh had tape lines on was my four string carvin with a whammy on it <laughs> <laughs> of course jd yeah. of course <laughs> This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you? If people send you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. 
With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Yeah, and they, they were... They were they were great. They were like a la, they were labella set, but they were they were wound with. They have a few different ones that have different patterns on it, so they look like basically look like a diamond back yeah. um, snake on up. So it was this this really complicated wound, and I was just like this. Yeah, it was seven levels of bonkers in that <laughs> that base itself already was just a, a jazz bass configuration, but sounded just so like raw anyway because it was it had the like those nordstrand mormon woolly big blades and everything and it was all mahogany um with an ebony board and it was just like it already sounded so different from how it looked anyway <laughs> and it was yeah. you know and then like to put tape wounds on it and be like and then why why is there whammy why is there a whammy bar here <laughs> like <okay>. yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, we, you know, I, I, do you know, I originally started talking about strings to go on to another point, yeah. but we're we're so far into the podcast now, and we said we'd do questions that if I go on to the point that I was going to make, we'll never do the questions. So I have to, I'll, or I'll, we, I'll, or we will, but it will be yeah, tomorrow yeah. in today's time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So yes, yeah, so we will. Let's. Uh, we, we're going to. We'll do some questions. We'll, we'll take a look some questions from the group um and first up aaron sherman uh, aaron sherman asked uh, what's your favorite bass tone and why is it a p bass into an svt right uh, <laughs> his point his point being how can how can i approach the amp side of that equation at less than 300 all valve watts um he says, by the way, I'm not asking what everyone's favorite bass tone is because it's clearly a P-Bass into an SVT. Well, yes, the P-Bass into an SVT is an absolutely sort of quintessential classic tone. This is the tone of of bass. The ultimate, the sort of the holy grail of tone is very much a P-Bass into an SVT. It's what everyone wants. But of course, not everyone wants a two-person lift, um, you know, th- these days quite breaky, you yeah. know, Ampeg SVT. Mm-hmm. Um some of and, us and, value our lower vertebrae. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Plus, you know, it's not like any of us are going to be gigging anytime soon. Why would you want that? You know, so the P-based thing, obviously, we can all, anyone can get something with a with a split P pickup or get a similar tone, but it's how to create, how to replicate. Um, now, he's not said, like, how to replicate it affordably, mm-hmm. but I guess that is something to take into consideration, you know, because of, at less than 300 watts. So I guess maybe we're talking about, what do you think we're talking about? Like home level, practice level, or, or just not the two-person lift amplifier? I mean, I think I think it's 
Well, one, I have a side point that I'll say that it's like because I often get people ask me like if if a hundred watt amp is gigable, and I say is it louder than a human voice? Because you know, like assuming you can gig with a human voice, you can mic up whatever else you're gigging with. Yeah, um, sure. Potentially, also clearly that shows that I. Like, yeah, it feels like a weird privilege thing of being like, I play places with PAs, you know, but like, um, but yeah, I mean, and it's also, a, it's an interesting point, though. Yeah. I, I mean, I it's, yeah, yeah, I mean, thank you. Like, it's one of those things where people are like, oh, yeah, but can you gig with it? And I was like, well, I don't, is it, is it louder than a human voice? If so, then yes. You know, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. can you gig with it without a microphone? Maybe not. Can you gig with it without going direct? Probably not, you know, but, um, but I think like, so tone wise, and I just I just want to caveat this first in that like I there's something like I really want I really want to like uh, SVT tones as like the main as sort of the default, and I sort of recognize that like academically that that's the default tone. But it's I, the only SVTs I've ever played that I've really actually liked. That being said, I had two Ampeg eight tens, but like the heads, the only ones I've ever really liked were like actual late 60s early 70s svt heads like Like, i haven't pre pre master volume ones yeah like i and it's and i think there's there's something about the the mid-range in one that's why it works well in a band and a lot of times i don't necessarily need that same sort of tone but there's something about the mid-range certainly of like the modern ones that i just that i've never really been able to add a adequately eq out that i that i don't like like there's something and i I, and i played svt i had an svt for years before i sort of went back to eden stuff and i was just i I could never really get it right and then when i have like backline which is always svt or you know a gk um galleon kruger um that it's it's the gks i like quite a bit actually that may be a good shout um but yeah like the there's i just can't get used to it um and just make one more point quickly though i know i've talked about is the uh um what i really like is the the b15 like that portaflex uh even like some small amp that does the svt sound gets that breakup gets that that it can get that sound but not in not in the size of a refrigerator with a microwave on top of it you know like <laughs> yeah. um yeah that and then uh, b15 is one of my only amp regrets that we can get to at another episode so oh yeah we should talk about we, we could definitely talk about b15 i could talk about b15s for a whole episode they are yeah they are absolutely wonderful but um but and yes I could I, too so maybe we should <laughs> <laughs> what it was yeah literally as you said that jd that was that was going to be my shout as well and even just the more the more modern portaflex uh 15 inch setups to a to a lesser degree as well obviously haven't quite replicated the the b15 faithfully but um yeah the voicing of the the pf heads with with 15 inch cab are um not to be messed with for for an homage to the svt tone i think no yeah they 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 were definitely really good and i guess okay so is is that the angle that we're going for like what smaller are we talking about like what digital or solid state amplifiers can achieve that without a, a, a two-man lift i mean i would have said even something like a smaller 
tube head, like even the PF20. Yeah. Um, is kind of that more like compactified, um, I suppose, effort at the at the tube tone before we get into the likes of, you know, our Aguilar, Quilter, Eden type kind of fully solid state heads. Aguilar seemed to be that, that brand for me that I think took a crack at this more mm-hmm. than anyone else from a digital mm-hmm. standpoint. When, Absolutely. When, yeah. when when they came out, it was kind of like, when the first Aguilar's came out, it was, you, you had the, like, mark base, I feel, were dominating that sort of area. And mm-hmm. for me, like, around that time, I guess I was working in the in the base department, in the base department in GAC. And I guess if people came in and they want, because at that time, like, you know, Ampeg were done in all but, you know, name. Yeah. They, they, yeah. They, they really weren't making yeah. great stuff. And so... Mm-hmm. If someone came in and said they wanted a traditional sounding bass amplifier, I'd sell them an Ashdown. If someone came in and said they wanted a modern sounding bass amplifier, I'd sell them a Mark bass. And mm. that was kind of how it went. If someone said they wanted a cheap bass amplifier, I'd sell them a TC Electronic. But it sure. it, it didn't really vary outside of, uh, outside of that demographic very much. And when Aguilar came out, they seemed like they managed to do what Ashdown and Mark bass were doing very well all in one mm-hmm. by making lightweight portable digital amp heads but they you know they looked very classic they sounded very classic um they kind of did away with that need for people were buying class d amps and then sans amps in order to mm-hmm. create vintage tones that Which was sort of also a- the answer there Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. The, That's the setup. Yeah. The, I mean, a sans amp certainly. The which which one do you guys use? If I assume everyone uses or has used a sam sans amp at some point. I was always very VT camp. I always used the the VT series. Which I was VT as well. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't own a sans amp currently, but I've had mm. several VTs over the year that have over the years that have uh, done the trick for me. Yeah, I mean, I've I haven't used one for. I, I don't remember the mo- just I mean the base driver DI like that yeah. the one that you that, that was the, everyone... the original one yeah yeah it didn't yeah, have that's... a mids that's why I ended up with the VT it didn't have a mids control and I like punching mids and well, I and... think I the one I had was before there was the VT um right so but yeah I really I really like them and like I mean like now I just use I have different DIs that I use like that Sonic Nuance one I've talked about mm. um before that I that I use that's just it's all about like for real DIs it's all about like the transformer versus like um the DIs you get with like uh sort of like effect boxes that that are sort of there so with tone control and with sort of you know like cab sim or something built in but like mm-hmm. um I mean, because that's really that's really where one. I mean, transformers are the the biggest thing you're going to get. So like, it's valves and transformers is really what the SVT is about. So if you if you can throw in like a big, hardy transformer with like a lot of iron or something in it, and get like a Cinemag or a Lundell or a Jensen or ones I really like, um, get something with one of those transformers in. This is also a <laughs> could go on the home recording episodes um but like those transformers are that's really where you're going to see like such a huge difference i think and then because there's so many things now that also do like a, a valve or tube front end that give you a lot of the the breakup or you get so many things like a tube preamp section that's really just yeah. there to sort of give you that little breakup that you you kind of get and it doesn't necessarily get you that like the sag feeling like when you're playing with like a, a fully valve head 
Um, yeah. What do What do you guys think about the uh, like uh, like a Fender Bassman shout? Like one the four ten. Oh, it's, it's that's so yeah. It's such I can't believe I missed that one out. The the reintroduction of the basement and the super basement, and then of course the basement five hundred and the basement which was their valve preamp and the basement one hundred which was their all all valve one hundred but one. I felt like Fender sort of went, oh hey, you know how everyone still really likes Ampegs, but Ampeg aren't really doing much at the moment. Should we just redo the super basement heads more like them? Because they were they weren't really a lot like the old basement heads, the the new ones they put out. Not tonally. And I was a massive fan of the old basement one hundred that could be used for guitar or or bass. In fact, almost all the polymath records are recorded on on one of those because they had one at um at, at Brighton Electric Studios where where we'd where we'd record. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, what an absolutely fantastic amp range by Fender. Like uh yeah, I thought they were really good. Um yes, I, you know, I, I don't know. Is it, have either of you actually spent much time with them with the Basement series? Not playing through. No, like tonally um tonally I've heard and studied others playing them and um yeah like huge fan of the of the original models um but i don't know much about the about the current current newer releases i i actually automatically assumed that that was what you meant jd but did you mean the the originals or the i mean i mean i mean i i think for this question we talk about the newer ones right because it would be more like what would you get sort of today i think um yeah i mean if you if you come across like a, a vintage one that you could get for you know not multi-thousand pounds then yeah i would do it but then um yeah like i mean i think i think really they it's sort of that it's that vintagey vibe and it's really more i mean vintagey in a in a, a very straightforward way like they they do what they do right like you're not getting tons of bells and whistles you're not getting like sins and returns and you're not biamping you're not you know it's like all this stuff you kind of see now like um get it but i i mean the more i think about it the more i keep kind of coming back to like the idea of getting just um you know like one of the smaller lightweight heads and a sans amp for you know for recording or for yeah. running that to the front of house you yeah. know like if you're you know when that's a thing again you know being able to <laughs> sort of just do that because that that really gives you i mean i mean sans amp nailed it you know like when tech 21 nailed it when they did that like it's such a such a such a big sound and and it's just right like it, it has one of those like special combination of things that shouldn't be special that is just like yep that's it that's that's yeah. you know everyone yeah. should have one and you should you know, like if you're recording, you record one one channel of that, one ca- channel mic'd, and maybe you know, like something else just in addition. You know, like it's such a it's such a useful a useful tone that works with so much, which yeah, I think is yeah. which I think is is that SVT like P bass SVT P bass, you know, like B15. It's that sound. It's why that sound is on all records. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, it, it's true to the job of the bass fundamentally in in a band setting, right? It's it's not um, 
you know, it's not tonally affecting anything, anything to the point where it begins to encroach on any other players or any vocal formants or anything like that. So, yeah, exactly. I mean, a, a, a great thing, you know, on the, the note that sans amps are such a dictionary definition of what of, of a replication of the SVT, I guess we, we have to talk about kind of the Helix uh, series, mm. whether that's the, you know, the, the Stomp, the LT or the, the full bag because of course uh yamaha who own line six now own ampeg they do. and all the uh all of those all of the ampeg amps that are available on helix which is a b15 um an svt and either normal or a bright um sort of configuration uh plus there are a handful of others as well i, I can't remember exactly which one i think the eight um i think the 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 eight pro is on there um mm. but you know those are those are faithful digital replications of the creme de la creme of of ampeg's uh you know catalog um available kind of on, yeah. you know on the on the helix so they're they're all those are all very very good options as well and why i've i've kind of you know really a big fan of the helix um funnily enough as much as i am a big fan of the helix i actually prefer boss's replication of the svt um on their gt1000 than i do um line six helix if i was going to pick one of the two units i think a helix is a better unit because you can do more with it i think there's more fun and weird stuff and i like fun and weird stuff but the gt1000 for simple sound replication uh, if I was going to record a bass direct using one of those things, I'd use a GT1000. If I was going to make a load of weird ambient noise, I'd use a Helix, you know. But mm -hmm. the um, I think, yeah, both of those versions for digital replications, especially if you're going, you know, straight into a into a recording situation, they are very good indeed. Absolutely. Yeah. And that covers your uh, physical space-taking weighty product quandary as well. Yeah. Um, you know, if you are a player without space or even without current band setup or anything like that, then it's um, that's kind of a decent solution. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, I mean, so I guess I, I just I just want to make sure we're sort of answering the question too that it, you know. So it's like because the question is like, how do we approach the amp side for less than three hundred? And I think you know, I think it's well, you it depends on what what part of the amp side it really is. Like if it is going to the front of house, then. There's that, but I mean the other thing is like you put a sans amp, you can you put that in front of sort of whatever else you're playing, and it, you know, like if you put that in front of a Mark bass head, you know, like it it will sound different than just sounding like a Mark bass head. So that you know, like I think that's that's worth doing, and it sort of feels like you know finding finding whatever combination of features works for you and in, in whatever sort of you know because. In sort of all the the class D heads, you know, you get the two, the two hundred watt, the five hundred watt, the seven hundred watt, because um, they all use the same power supplies. You know, like it's, <laughs> you know, like it's. So it's sort of one of those things. You just find the right front end, whatever, whatever you want there, um, and just get something there. And again, not, not to, you know, really call this out, but like I really, really like the the Eaton Terra Nova series. And, I, I and think they're absolutely fantastic. Yeah, and I th I think there's something with them because like Eden has such a from the World Tour series and has such a reputation for being clinical or being 
you know, like a really hi-fi sound, which it can be, but the world, but the Terra Nova is a very warm sounding class D amplifier that, um, that you can usually, you know, you can usually pick up, you know, pretty, pretty decently. And I think that's, I, I, that's probably what I would do. Um, but that's also because like, I really like, Again, like that's just my own little issues with like SVT, and I really like the basement style stuff. But like, and that's what I use if I use like an emulation somewhere. I usually use, I usually tend to gravitate towards a basement more than I do an SVT. But I think right. that's also because I'm looking for something different than what I would play eighty percent of the time, which would be more like the Terra Nova series. So. What 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 age does the do the Terra Novas come in? Uh, they, it's they just a, do it. it's like two twenty five and five hundred or right. roughly and that's yeah like with like uh cautiously rated rms right. ratings see, which is not worth going into <laughs> um <laughs> but yeah so i mean it's it's roughly that same sort of thing so you could get the tn226 um model number which is like the two fit two 250 watt and that would um you know that would that would basically cover your sub sub 300 watt would go into any you know and and even if somebody at that level has has a speak on out has you know a compressor built in has you know deep switches has you know parametric eq on it like um yeah 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 that is that is super cool i've i've always um struggled with i've I've never found anything 300 watts or lower that I've liked the the sound of. Yeah. I don't think 300 watts deals with mids appropriately. I think I like really headroomy sounds. Yeah. And and whilst that sort of 250 300 watt mark tends to be the most affordable, I just I'm yet to listen to one, you know, a digital or solid state amplifier rated at sort of 250 300 watts and go, "Oh yeah, this sounds good." Um, I kind of find you need that 500 watts just to 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 get that a slightly less compressed, fuller sound. But um. what does what do you what do you think about? Um, so I mentioned this, but the the Galleon Kruger, like the even more the vintage stuff. I I don't really know a lot of the new stuff that well, but like some of the lower watts so not the 800 rvs or any of the you know the 800 series but like um you know some of their there's a few like two three hundred watts um that they used to do well, they were they were kind of famous for that uh the mb150 the 150 oh, yeah. watt um amplifier that was the size of a suitcase and they were kind of the first brand ever to kind of be like here's here is a tiny bass amp that you can gig with. Yeah. Um, I, I I specifically remember at the David Gilmore auction for all his guitars, he had one going up for auction. And I was like, yeah, if David Gilmore owned an MB150, then they were definitely awesome. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm on their website now. I wonder if they still actually do them because they kind of fell into the new series of MB things yeah. recently. Oh, yeah, because yeah, I know I know they have the 800, which I think is just their first class. I mean, I just I was just thinking about that because I was always I was always I never played them when I was sort of like before I had access to amps in the way that I do like now when I was kind of like they just weren't around like in a small town I was in and I knew Fleet played one. And so I always thought they were cool, but I never played them until like later on 
in my life and i and i knew they were all solid state and i wanted you know like valves at some state you know like i i just i had this mental block that i always wanted like tubes to be in my signal path and then i never i never really played them and then um i started they started showing up in like back lines and stuff and then ended up like trading for one like some piece of gear and had one and and i was surprised at how warm they were and then certainly how reliable it was and and also just like just how great it sounded anyway and that it had built-in chorus which was not my jam <laughs> for chorus wise but you know like it was just one of those like oh there's chorus and it's like i can sound immediately like 80 percent of every like late or mid 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 eighties to early nineties bass player who played a chord at any point during a song. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. They, um, yeah, those RB heads. I do think are, are kind of legendary. And yeah, of course, Flea. I think still plays one, even though they're discontinued according to their website. I think he played the um, the RB uh, two thousand. Uh, what are they? How would you how would you say that, JD? It's 2001, but how would that be in American? Is that I'd the 2001? I would probably say 2001. Uh, oh, like, right, okay. It's such a big place. The rules are all over the shop. Like, it's, okay. you know, it's the, the 2001. Yeah, I think because there's 2001. Yeah, I mean, it's always their 800 series that, like, I, I think those are, like, the classic. Like, that's what you see at every every back. Like, that's the, the you're renting this you're getting a gallon cougar not getting an svt unless you pay for the svt and <laughs> yeah you know the dental and um you know chiropractic so. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and no, they were good um naomi have you had much experience with J with uh with gk with gk um i haven't had a huge amount outside of um yeah really outside of backline um that i've kind of had and got to use for for the experience of a gig and then that's that's kind of been it um just not yeah, one I mean, of those brands that's kind of appealed not, i guess not not that it hasn't appealed it has i think um i think i've kind of chased the the more kind of svt tones and gear um over the years and then more recently kind of got into aguilar and ebs so those those are just kind of the the ways my attention was drawn i suppose yeah but um yeah like i i don't think i've i've um got to familiarize myself with with the likes of the mb150 or anything like that outside of the newer um kind of the newer models based on its legacy really they're they're one of those one of those brands i think along with maybe maybe heart key that i think you could mm -hmm. throw in with with galen kruger that kind of feels like maybe 15 years ago or so they were just coming to the end of like their real heyday um sure i guess yeah. maybe at the time when fender was starting to make bass amps again orange were moving into bass amps ashdown yeah. were really starting to come into their own mark bass was you know turning up tc up. electronic was turning up yeah yeah um, for sure and those those two brands sort of kind of fell away a little bit I, I mean, I have a massive soft spot for Hartkey. I think as a as a as a very big Billy Sheehan fan, I I will always have a a, a soft spot for Hartkey because I love that they managed to make incredibly affordable amps that are used by you know maybe the I don't know certainly one of the biggest you know bass players in the entire world, and he you know 
doesn't use Ampeg anymore. He uses Hartkey. Mm-hmm. I mean, admittedly, he has he uses them in a very clean capacity, and he has his Pierce preamps um, that actually he bought. They were because they they Pierce preamps went defunct, so it went out of business. So he he bought all of the Pierce preamps he could, but because they do eventually break, he was slowly getting through them. So he last year or the year before went to Line Six and had Line Six model his last Pierce preamp. Or one of his last Pierce preamps, and so now he has a a helix going into his Hartkey setup, very uh, you know set up very clean. But mm-hmm. you know, I always thought it was super cool that he did that, and, and I I loved the the whole range of of Hartkey stuff. They kind of it felt like they did something for everyone. I really the the HA thirty five hundred that three hundred fifty watt head that they used to do. Like I used to run multiples of those. Uh, and the thing that I always really li- that was the one with the the switchable in and out like ten band graphic EQ because yeah I love mid nineties and then um, I really liked they had the blendable preamp so they had the tube preamp and then they had the solid yeah, state solid preamp state. that you could blend on the front panel and so I no one's I, ever done anything like that yeah, it's genius I, and like I and it and it worked well like it was really nice and it would. Um, yeah, you, yeah, I really, I really liked, I really liked those heads. I mean, there was, they were very utilitarian, in yeah. in the in in a complimentary sense. Like they were very straightforward and did what they did. Um, and then, like, I wanted some more stuff from heads, which is why I ended up eventually moving away. But they were, I mean, for what you could get those for, like, I don't think anything touches them. You know, no. like I would happily no, not at all. grab one of those again. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they're they're they sit at price points both new and used, kind of in the same way that Samsung do in Pro Audio, where it's just this, you know, unsnobby, really well put together gear that doesn't want to make a, a fuss about itself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's um, a good place to be. Yeah, you know, which is not something we talk about very often. <laughs> <laughs> But the, 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 the I, I tell you what I could do an entire episode on like Harkey's legacy because you know they they were the first people to do those like aluminium cone, aluminium yeah. cone speakers, mm-hmm. um, which sounded incredible in their HD series. Like it, mm. it it was like they'd thought about what modern bass players wanted to sound like and they made the perfect cone for it. And then at the same time they were making their AK was it AK series of cabs which were cotton wool lined. Yeah. Um, and so they were they were made basically the same as the old SVT um, cabinets were made, and and I I I love that like yeah, just at, like at the same time Hartkey were doing, you know, a bit of both. Oh God, I really like Hartkey stuff. I have to buy a load of like, it. I think. I feel like we should we yeah, we should do like very specific topical episodes at some at some stage of just being like we're only talking about history and you know like affinity for harkey this episode <laughs> sounds, this episode brought to you like by not harkey uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah we definitely should well that that does actually bring us up to time pretty much on this week's uh, episode of the bass guitar nerds podcast how many questions did we manage to answer one was that one which question? was oh which was exactly God. what i predicted oh <laughs> uh, yeah that's uh, okay. the question well, that's episode 
I think we both owe JD a tenner now. Ah, nah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that why, that's why I kept talking. I was like, what do you guys think about GK? Right. Let's talk about <laughs> <laughs> a valiant effort, JD. <laughs> nice work, nice work, wonderful. Well, it's 100% more questions than we've answered on the Guitar Notes podcast over the last few weeks. So that's that's good, you know, we're... We're doing well, but yes, you can. Uh, um, you can, of course, dear listener, catch us over on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash guitarnerds, or you can follow uh, guitarnerds on any of the major social platforms with at guitarnerds. And uh, we'll be back the week after next with more of this bass guitar nerdery. Farewell. <laughs>